the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, April 11th. This week, it's all about Monte Carlo as the ATP 1000 level event occupies the only spot on the calendar. As such, we'll get to focus in on what many consider the ceremonial start of the 2023 ATP clay court season. Yes, we had Houston, we had Estoril, we had Marrakesh last week, but this week, We see so many of the top players in the world competing in Monte Carlo, even given the fact that you had a bunch of withdrawals, right? No Carlos Alcaraz, no Rafael Nadal. You had a wave of Americans pulling out of the event as well, and that feels relevant given the success of the American men so far this season. Nevertheless, just about everyone else is competing this week in Monte Carlo. As such, this feels like our first significant sample of what we can expect to come throughout the course of this 2023 clay court season. And here in the United States, Monte Carlo got started on Sunday. As such, I have three days of play to catch up on here on today's show. I've decided to rank the first round results by significance. So I'll kind of rapid fire through everything that's happened thus far here on today's show. I also want to offer my thoughts and preview each of the quarters of the draw, talk about the things you all should be watching for as, again, this 2023 ATP clay court season gets underway. Not sure what the length of this podcast will be. Nevertheless, again, Monte Carlo will be the focus here on the Mini Break podcast all week long. Of course, there are other things going on in the tennis world, though, this week. While we don't have a WTA tour-level event, we have plenty of challenger action, plenty of college action. We cover it all here at Cracked Rackets. Head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed if you want to hear about the challenger and collegiate levels. Of course, our dear friends Damian Kust, Jakob Bobro, our Crack Rackets contributors cover the ATP Challenger Week each and every Monday on the GSP. John Parsons, Chris Halioris, and I cover the college tennis world every Wednesday and Thursday. So if you need more of a tennis fix than just Monte Carlo this week, rest assured, we've got you covered. We've got Plenty of fun college tennis broadcasts coming up this weekend. It's our final weekend of SEC and ACC regular play. So broadcasts Friday, Sunday, ESPN, ACC Network, SEC Network Plus. You can, of course, also follow our Big Ten broadcast on Sunday. That's on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. We've done some really fun interviews over the course of the past few months. You can find all of those on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. I recently had the chance to speak with a former University of Michigan standout top 150 player in the world in Jason Jung. He was quite candid in sharing what life is like on the road, you know, 30 weeks a year as an ATP professional and talked about why college tennis was right for him. We had a lot of fun as two Michigan Wolverines are prone to doing on a podcast. We also, of course, not too long ago, got the chance to speak with plenty of players down in Phoenix, whether it be Nuno Borges, Alexander Kovacevic, Alexander Shevchenko, Michael Emer, all of those conversations available on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed wherever you listen to your podcast, of course, to find all of our content and our interns are 
are really killing it, whether it be the writing, whether it be what they're doing on Instagram, whether it be what they're producing for our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. You can find all of that content over on our website, CrackedRackets.com. A shout out, as always, to the super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the job he does day in, day out, making everything possible. A shout out to all of you listeners who tune into this show day in, day out for your updates. And of course, a shout out to our dear supporters at Tennis Point. Remember, for the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices, go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15. You'll not only let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, simple, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. Let's talk about what's happened thus far in Monte Carlo. Again, three days of play in the books. Every first-round match now officially completed. As such, I was able to rank every first-round result by its significance. You did have two seeds upset. And just a reminder of how this Monte Carlo draw works. There are 16 seeds in the singles draw. Top eight seeds all receive a first-round buy, while two seeds were upset. I don't think either of those results were the most significant. I think the most significant development from these first few days has to be the continued success of the man who's the ninth seed this week in Monte Carlo. That, of course, is a man who we have spoken about quite frequently here on this show of late. It's because he seems to have officially entered his prime. Of course, I'm referring to ninth-seeded Karen Hatchinov, who knocked off the defending Monte Carlo finalist Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, not just in straight sets. Hatchinov beat him two and two. And look, We've talked so much, Karen Hatchinov, of late here on this podcast. I will do my best to avoid repeating myself for what it's worth. You look for Hatchinov now to start this 2023 season 14 and 6 through his first 20 matches. He's won 70% of his matches through three months of play. And I know 20 matches isn't a 50 match sample size. 20 matches is pretty significant. That's what. Four, five, I guess in this case for Hatchnov, as he has yet to win a title this season. This is his uh, seventh event of the year. And, you know, looking for Hatchnov through his first six events, he's made quarterfinals in four of them, semifinals in two. And of course, those two semifinals came A, at the Australian Open, and B, in Miami, two of the three most significant events we've seen played on the calendar this season. And Look, analytically, obviously, with the success Hatchinov is having, he is going to be, uh, he is going to analytically look as though he's doing well. And certainly, you know, again, couple of little things. His hold percentage, 85.6%. That's his highest number since the 2018 season, where, of course, he did finish top eight. He did win that Paris Masters title back in 2018, the last title he's won in his career. To start this season, he's at his highest metric since then. His break percentage, mountains above where he has ever been before. Hatchinov breaking serve 28.1% of the time through his first 20 matches. That number is a top 10 number on the ATP Tour amongst top 50 players right now, according to the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. You look, you know, again, at the first serve percentage, he's making 66.1% of his first serves. That's a career high for him by about a percent and a half. It's also 
two, uh, excuse me, three point seven percent above his career average, and you know a guy who's six foot six who can crank up the one twenty five to one thirty five mile per hour serve with ease. If you're making them three point seven percent more percent of the time, to contextualize, maybe that's six more points on the margin. That's really been the the difference for Karen Hachanov, who has floated inside the top 25, right? He, Despite the fact that he has yet to win a title since that Paris Masters run, he has sustained his place in the upper echelons of the game, right? And I've mentioned this before in the past. Karen Hachanov has done everything Elisa Mertens did during her third round, uh, consecutive third round appearances at majors. You know, Hachanov's been doing that just without the press. You look for Karen Hachanov in his career, 62 and 29 overall. He's made the fourth round of a major nine different times in his career. He's done it, you know, in three of the last four majors as well. Of course, he's made semifinals at back-to-back majors, doing it at the U.S. Open, then here in Australia as well. You know, that's the analytics rundown, and you look for Hachinov in his victory over Alejandro Davidovich Fokina on, um, when they play, I think they played today, you lose track of when these matches happen if you're watching them all in reverse. He was dominant on surf. He made 70% of them, won 78% of his first surf points. He fought off all three break points that he faced. He was dominant in his 2-2 two and two victory. What's the biggest difference for me in Hachinov now than six months ago, 12 months ago, 15 months ago, because I think the skill set remains the same. I think when he has time to hit the big first serve, when he has time to sit and load on that backswing, because it is a bigger backswing on his forehand side, he can be dominant with his plus one first strike aggression that he plays with. He also, for a guy who's six foot six, I think he's very fluid. You never have to worry about his fitness, whether he's going to be able to play the two and a half, three plus hours consecutive days of tennis. You know, that is not what leads to the stinkers for Karen Hachanov. To me, what leads to the stinkers is you always see lapses in concentration. There were two frequently throughout the course of his career. And, you know, the match I always turn to is Indian Wells 2019, where he's up a set and a break on a cramping Rafa, and he's just unable, or unable, excuse me, to execute his first strike tennis consistently for the 30 minutes required to get the job done. And, you know, you'd see that frequently from Hachanov in the biggest matches. He was a guy who, again, I mentioned that record at the slams for him in his career, the nine second weeks that he's made. He's also, of course, reached the round of 32, 17 different times in his career. He made the round of 32 at three or four slams. Last year, he did it all three slams 2020. He did it three of four slams in 2019. Karen Hachanov is a guy who, over his career, he's held seat. He beats who he's supposed to beat. You know, the problem is, again, as good as he looks on paper, there will be those three minutes where he just plays a really bad service game. He gets broken. An opponent has a weapon, has some ability to test his forehand, is consistent in making Hatchinoff hit that on-the-run forehand, which is certainly a vulnerability, the on-the-run forehand, the forehand return when he doesn't have time to set his feet and really get into the backswing. Those mental lapses have gone away 
over the course of these first three months. And part of that is probably just by virtue of getting older. Like Karen Hachanov is 26 years old. In his career at the ATP level now, you know, he's played, first of all, 116 round of 32 matches alone in his career. At the ATP level now, he's played 389 matches. He's only 26 years old, right? He turns 27 in May. I mean, again, this is the prime of his career. And I think statistically, I think eye test wise, there's just a discipline. There's a patience in his executing. He's still doing all of the same things. He's just executing them with more frequency. The sort of things that come with experience, with time. And maybe it's a credit to Hatchinov that through all of his struggles, he was able to sustain a top 25 ranking. And now he's got a wave of confidence going. Again, he just blitzed Davidovich Fokina, whether it was with first serves, the heaviness of his first forehand, his ability to, uh, you know, absorb and redirect with his backhand down the line. And, you know, I always say it's interesting to me because I think Karen Hachanov has actually been sneaky good in his career at Roland Garros. He's made the round of 16 at Roland Garros. I mentioned the fact that he's made 17 round of 16s in his career at the majors. He's done it at Roland Garros five different times. He's done it in five of the last six French Opens as well. The only one where he didn't do it was in 2021 where he lost. uh, Oh, excuse me. Round of 16. Yeah. The only time he didn't do it was in 2021 where, who did he lose to? In 2021, Kei Nishikori, four sets, second round. I think we're going to write that loss off as somewhat acceptable. Hatchinov's a nightmare to deal with on this surface, and that he sustained his level as well as he did in match number one. Again, a guy with a track record of clay court success. That was the most significant development in round number one to me. That That's the most notable first round result is the continued success of Hatchinov because the stats say... He's a top 25, uh, excuse me, a top 10 player right now. The eyes say he's playing like a top 25 player as well. And for what it's worth, Hatchinov, one of just eight guys right now who rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage, that list going into the clay court season. Djokovic, Medvedev, top 10. Chilich on one match and Sinner, top 15. Tiafo, Runa, Hatchinov, Alcaraz, top 20. And then after his success last week, Kasparud joined Sepi Korda in the top 25 category as it relates to 2023 specific results. Anyways, Hatchinoff, 2-2, two and two, knocks off Davidovich Fokina, who, again, was coming in with a little bit of momentum after losing those finals points. Davidovich Fokina now down 13 spots in the rankings, yet still at number 37, which, again, 23 years old, getting into every event you want to play. You still have Rome, Barcelona, Madrid, French Open on the schedule. There's big events here in this clay court stretch. You don't panic if you're Davidovich Fokina. Again, that result tells me more about Hatchinov than anything else. That's the longest I'll spend on any individual result. I promise. I do want to go faster through the rest of these. Let's talk about an upset next. If you're not ready for Nicolas Yari to beat someone who you like during the course of this clay court season— then you just haven't been paying attention over the last 52 weeks. And of course, Yari, five days younger than me. His birthday is the day of my bar mitzvah. So shout out October 11th. Anyway, shout out us October 95ers. Um, you look for Nicolas Yari, 45 and 22 overall over his last 52 weeks. You want to talk about just ATP, speci- uh, just clay court, excuse me, specific results? Fine. 33 and 13. You want to talk about him at the ATP level over his last 52 weeks on clay? 
he's 13 and 5 overall and that includes a couple of Davis Cup victories over Sasha Bublik over Nico Alvarez the former Duke All-American you probably want to throw that one out but fine he's 12 and 5 on clay courts over his last 52 weeks and you look at those you know uh what one two three four five tour level events that he's played over that stretch of time quarterfinals in Stad, good wins over guys in Montero the Lefty Brazilian, who's a nightmare on this surface because of the heaviness of his ball. Yannick Hanfman, the creativity. We talked about Hanfman so much yesterday, talking off, coming off of his Houston semifinal. Those are two good wins before a 7-6 in the third loss to Albert Ramos. Vino loss the next week. He loses first round 6-3 and three to Pedro Martinez. Again, I don't view that as a bad loss. You look for him during this South American uh, clay court stretch. We just saw semis in Rio, wins over Musetti. The aforementioned Martinez, three and six over Sebi Baez before a third set loss to Carlos Alcaraz. How did he bounce back the next week? Oh, just the title in Santiago on home soil. Three four set, uh, excuse me, four three set victories. That's the proper math to close things out. Wins over Hanfman again, Munar, Schwartzman, my birthday brother Juan Pablo Varias. Three-set win over Tomas Matten Echeverry in the final. Echeverry, of course, just made the Houston final last week on clay. The weapons Nicolas Yari have, if he's this fit, and I know for some, Nicolas Yari, who in the past tested positive for PEDs, that's a disqualifying thing for someone to do in the minds of some tennis fans. I can't knock you if you don't want to waste any time on Nicolas Yari. Here's what I'm saying. His serve, his forehand, his size, the heaviness of his ball— his kick serve out wide first forehand combination, it's elite. And you look for Yari during this stretch of time. He's held serve 88% of the time on clay courts in these ATP level matches over his last 52 weeks. The average hold percentage of the current top 50 on clay last season, 77.4%. That serve is elite. It's going to keep him in matches. And again, he absolutely blitzed Borna Chorch for, from the start. Chorch wasn't ready. For the pace, for the heaviness. And again, Yari, for a big guy, he's not quite as fluid as a Medvedev, obviously. Not, uh, you know, not quite as fluid as a Hatchinov, but he's not far off from Hatchinov. He's big, he's strong, but he's fit and he's fluid on this surface. And if he has a little more time to get into that forehand backswing, you're just in trouble. I really like when he steps up on his backhand down the line and he's playing so confidently right now. I know he lost first round last week in Marrakesh to Vavasori. Again, there can be some variance in the performances of Nicolas Iari. I think most importantly, though, again, he is confident right now and this gets things back on track. Two and three over George. He's got Popperin in the next round. It would not shock me at all, and we'll get into it in our quarter pro- quarterfinal, pre- uh, excuse me, our quarters previews. But again, it's a really good win for Nicolas Yari. Tough loss, certainly, for Borna Chorich, who just has not had a lot of rhythm here in 2023. The Cincinnati champion from last season, 7-7 seven and seven overall this year, just two quarterfinals where he had to win one match in Montpellier to get there, won two matches before losing three and two in the quarterfinals of Dubai to Medvedev. Yeah, I mean, again, he's now lost four consecutive matches, had a tough sunshine swing, losses to Mulchan, Eubanks, now the tough loss to Yari. Let's remember still, patience with Borna Church. I, I That Western Southern Open run, we don't spend enough time talking about how miraculous that was, how out of nowhere that came, how Church's run to the title 
an informed Musetti beats Rafa, beats RBA, beats Felix, beats Nori, beats Tsitsipas. He lost one set on that run to the title. He's 7-7 seven and seven to start 2023. That's a story that we're not talking enough about, and I apologize for that fact. And the next time I have a guest on this show, I do want to talk about – again, people don't talk enough. How did Border George win in Cincinnati? It was really well done. And again, wasn't to be against Nicolas Yari. George just was not prepared to handle that pace. Yari threw to the second round again. A very winnable match against Alexi Popperin. Moving more quickly, Zverev, the 13th seed, knocks out Sasha Bublik. Why is that significant? It was a three-set win. Do I think Zverev played his best? No. Do I think he looks like the player he was last season on the clay? No. Did I see the quote about him saying he was playing his best tennis on clay and he thought he was capable of beating Rafa in the semifinals of Roland Garros and winning the title? Yes, I saw the quote. It's a sentiment I have expressed hesitantly, but acknowledged how well Zverev was moving physically. And he was just, I mean, again, you saw the yips in command and I'd have to see him beat Rafa to believe it. That's obviously why I'm hesitant. But Zverev was playing the best of his career and was playing an extraordinarily physical brand of tennis at Roland Garros. I mean, he freaking beat Alcaraz. And, you know, again, I, I was looking at the numbers, and this is something I wanted to preview, headed into this 1,000-level event, because we do have so many of the top players in the world. I went and looked back at the 2022 clay uh, court stats. You had 14 different guys on clay courts last year ranked top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Let's start with the elite of the elite. RBA, top 10 in both hold and break percentage. The key, he played 10 matches. Not a significant enough sample size. We're going to write that off. Number one, or excuse me, the other guy, Carlos Alcaraz, the only other guy to rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage. That's certainly what we saw with our eyes. Three guys, top 15 in both hold and break percentage. Nadal, duh. And it makes sense that he wasn't top 10 because of the slow start to the clay court season last year. Djokovic, exact same thing. The other one, and it was music to my eyes to see it, or a sight for sore eyes. I'm mixing metaphors. You can guess it was Yannick Sinner. So Alcaraz was top 10. Sinner, Djokovic, Nadal, top 15. That feels significant. Top 20 guys, Tsitsipas, Dimitrov, Medvedev in very limited matches, so you write that off. And Cam Nori, interesting, although Nori loses first round. We'll get to it. Top 25, Chilich, semifinals at the French Open, makes sense. Felix, interesting. Runa, won a title. Quarterfinals French, makes sense. Sebi Baez, who a reminder, in my opinion, unequivocally, one of the 15 best clay court players in the world. And then Alex Virev. Who's got to be on that list? I'm just telling you. And of all those guys, he, you know, he's the one who plays Barcelona, Madrid, Rome, Monte Carlo, all of them. The toughest, I would say, schedule uh, of the group because he's not. I don't think he played a ton of 250s last season. The way you know, Baez and Nori and some of the other guys can go beat up on, and Felix even can go beat up on the stats, uh, beat up on lower ranked players. Excuse me, and juice their stats. Zverev was moving a little more confidently. He certainly has a little bit more time to get into his ground strokes, a little bit more time to recover on the return of serve. You just have to keep an eye on him because if he does refine his form, he is one of the five best clay court players in the world. And so, you know, three-set win against Bublik means we get to see him play another match, and that next match going to come against the aforementioned RBA. So 
lock in. There you go. Other matches, team, that's the best match he played. I mean, everything was on his racket. Everything was in rhythm against Richard Gasquet. And I know uh, it gets tough, right, because you look for Dominic team. He struggled during the South American clay court stretch, went one in three in those three events. It went over Molchan, losses to Juan Pablo Varias, Montiero, and Christian Garin. Looked solid in Estoril last week in wins over Ofner and Shelton before getting blitzed by a very much informed Quinton Halise. I thought he played even better against Richard Gasquet. I know the first serve was under 60%, but man, Gasquet just couldn't hurt him. And that's the first time I've seen team move so fluidly around the clay court and give himself enough time to get into those monstrosities of ground strokes and just, again, blitz through Gasquet. He was patient. He was measured. He won one and four. He won 87% of his first serve points. He didn't face a break point. You know, one and four in an hour and a half. Gasquet pushed him physically, extended rallies in that second set once he became more accustomed to the pace of team's ball. But Dominic Team looked like a top 50 clay court player. And with this victory, Dominic Team now currently sitting at 98 in the live rankings. Welcome back to the top 129-year-old Dominic Team. The 2020 U.S. Open champion has been sorely missed. Other minute storylines, I suppose. Berrettini, Schwartzman, Musetti, all guys currently riding the struggle bus to Monte Carlo. It's interesting. The struggle bus actually is transcontinental, so you can ride it from the U.S. to Europe. It's the only transcontinental thing that works here in the United States from a transportation standpoint. Berrettini, Schwartzman, Musetti leave their woes, though, behind. They all get first-round victories. Berrettini... Probably the most advantageous, excuse me, of the matchups, taking on Maxime Cressy. But hey, Cressy serve into the Berrettini backhand. You thought it might give him difficulties. It didn't in each of the games Berrettini secured breaks. He dipped two backhand returns low at the feet of Max Cressy just or, you know, snuck a slice that Cressy would leave float and ultimately it dropped in. He looked good from a movement perspective. He looked comfortable having a little bit more time to crank through that forehand. And again, the heaviness of his serve, because it is such a heavy ball, his forehand as well, that first strike, it is just as effective on this surface as it is maybe even more effective than on a hard court because it is so difficult to recover out of the corner after handling that Berrettini forehand. Berrettini cruises, good win for Schwartzman over a struggling David Goffin, but again, Schwartzman will take any victory he can. And, you know, a little bit of a schedule victory for Lorenzo Musetti. 7-6-6 love over Kesmenovic. Kesmenovic had no juice left in the second set. But again, Musetti's around 500 coming into this clay court season, looking for anything to regain momentum around. And, hey, he's the 16th seed this year uh, at this event. 6-0 and over Miamir Kesmenovic. It's crazy that... Berrettini's unseated in this event, right? Like Matteo Berrettini's next matchup. Well, actually, he'll face unseated Francisco Sarundolo, who is the next significant matchup on my list as Sarundolo knocks off Cam Nori pretty comfortably in Monte Carlo 3-4. and four. Now, Sarundolo built his top 100 ranking on a foundation of challenger-level clay court success. And you look for Francisco Sarundolo, even with his Miami runs, quarterfinals, semifinals, you look for his career um, at the challenger level, Francisco Sarundolo overall, uh, 70 and 32, so a 69% win percentage on clay courts, three and four at the challenger level on hard courts. You want to take it to the ATP level? Fine. He's 20 and 18 at uh, on hard courts, 30 and 22 on clay courts. You look for 
for him in his career at the tour level. He's made 13 different quarterfinals. Uh, Nine of them have come on clay courts. Imagine trying to deal with his forehand and recovering out of a corner. And the biggest issue for me was just how difficult it was for Cam Norrie to hurt Sarundalo throughout the course of this match. Now, I don't think Norrie served particularly well on the day, even when, you know, again, you look at his first serve percentage. Yes, he made two-thirds of those first serves, but they just weren't effective in creating space uh, for his first strike. It felt like the depth of the Sarundalo return seemed to always level things at neutral. And again, Nori was one of the biggest winners of the South American clay court stretch. And, you know, comes out of Indian Wells with a quarterfinal run. And yet now, you know, drops back-to-back first-rounders in Miami to Gregoire Bure. Now here to Sarundalo in straight sets. Yeah, it's a difficult run for Nori. He's earned the benefit of the doubt. And I mentioned it. He was one of those 14 guys to finish top 25 in both hold and break percentage last season on clay. But it's just a reminder, we switched surfaces. And Francisco Sarundalo has a track record in his career of significant success on this surface. Other ones to run through quickly, Draper over Baez. Again, Sebi played a, a long week in Estoril, but that's a really good win for Jack Draper, who I know dropped the heartbreaker to Herbie Hurkots today. Herbie Hurkots, excuse me, 7-5 in the third. Hurkots, really impressive victory, 7-6 in the third over Laszlo Jura. Uh, Jura, excuse me, he was down a set and a break in that Jura match. You know, obviously to knock off Draper today. Draper's on the precipice. Like I, I do think he's going to be one of the guys in the gang moving forward. I know he doesn't have an Alcaraz, a Sinner, a Runa, even a Shelton. Well, I don't know. His Canada Masters last year was pretty good. And considering the level of player, considering he beat Tsitsipas versus what Shelton had to do to get to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. Again, I still feel better about Jack Draper moving forward than I do about Ben Shelton because I know Draper's game translates around across surfaces. I know Shelton today lost, or maybe it was, no, I think it was today he lost a tough one, 6-3 in the third to Grigor. I don't have questions, or I guess I think Ben will be good about clay on clay courts. I just need to see it. I think he'll be good on grass courts. I just need to see it. I have now seen a significant enough track record, whether it be, again, challenger level, ATP level, Draper's just got it, and once he is fit and once he is 22, 23 years old, grows into his body, again, the weapons are there. The backhand's so steady. He was systematic in his first-round victory over Baez, and his serve just, again, was a uniquely poor matchup for Baez because of how quickly that ball got on Baez's shoulder. He held first strike for first strike with Hubie Hercots, who just is a three-set thriller. I mean, you look for Hubie Hercots here this season— didn't have the greatest sunshine swing, right? I know uh, second round losses in both Indian Wells and Miami. You look for Hoopy here this year. He's now 16-8 and eight overall on the year. How many three-set matches has Hoopy Hercots played? 16-8 and eight overall. He's played 24 matches. 14 of his 24 matches have gone to a deciding set. He is the most exciting match player to watch because you just never know what's going to happen. Is the forehand going to get hot? Is it going to leave him? Is he? What's he going to do athletically? Again, guy moves so well for someone that size. You know, his first serve, he's going to come up with a couple of gems. He'll serve and volley. He'll just do a little bit of everything. Yeah, Hoopy Hurkacz is underrated in how entertaining he is as a player to enjoy 
I mean, the other ones, just quickly down the home stretch here, Demon Hour smacked Murray. Uh, Murray just couldn't hurt him, and Murray said it was one of his poorest performances. Who am I to disagree with Andy Murray in assessing Andy Murray's game? Yeah, there was just nothing he could do. Much-needed win for Demon Hour, no doubt about that. If I didn't name a first-round result that you were hoping to hear about, I apologize. Otherwise, the rest, you know, Dimitrov, Shelton. We talk enough Shelton, so I'm going to leave that one on the side for now. I did like the level of Val Vasher, the former A&M All-American, knocked out 5-5 five and five by the young Italian Luca Nardi. That's what's happened so far through the first three days. I know we did have a Djokovic straight set win today, 6-2. and two. He was down that break in the first set, but immediately got it back, grinds out the breaker, separates himself from there. He looked good for a first match on clay. He looked fit. He was sliding well. Again, finding his traction on the surface. Rublev pushed a three sets by Munar. Rublev came out really tentative on his forehand wing and was actually ready to grind Munar down. And I think that's what he did in the first set because then second set, third set, Munar just got a little trigger happy and just was a little bit too willing or too eager. He was impatient. That's the best word. He was just impatient down the home stretch of that match. And credit to Rublev for not pressing too hard when, you know, again, Munar was sustaining himself. So I apologize if you hear the lawnmower in the background as Rublev was sustaining himself. Uh, Munar was sustaining himself and sustaining rallies in the first set. Rublev recovered well. Uh, again, Andre Rublev, a guy who has won a 500-level event on clay, who has had significant results on the dirt. I keep mentioning it, the heavy topspin forehand. He has that ability to rip through a court when others may not on this surface. He's continued to get better as a mover. The sustained and improved depth on his backhand is only going to help him on this surface. Good second-round win for Rublev to advance. And, and so let's look at the draw now to end today's show you start at the top section. Obviously, we have world number one Novak Djokovic back in the draw. Boy, would I love to see him play Yannick Sinner on this surface because I think that could be a potential quarterfinal. I think it could be a potential semifinal depending on the status of Rafa at the 2023 French Open. And look, I mean, Sinner's going to play his doubles partner, Diego Schwartzman, in the round of uh, 32. Does Schwartzman have any weapons to hit Sinner out of the center? Because, look, I watched Sinner and Umag last year post-French Open. I watched him at the French Open. I know the clay court success he's capable of, the heaviness of his ball, his ability to spread the court, find angles, and find that short angle to open up the down the line with how difficult, again, it is to recover on this surface. Sinner's going to be really good on clay for a long time. Winner of that plays Hubi Hurkacz. You feel like, yes, it's a clay court. I'd like to see Hubi serve against Djokovic. Less so than I'd like to see the center matchup, so hopefully we get it, of course. Could be Djokovic-Musetti in the round of 16, and let's not forget, Musetti was up two sets to love on Novak Djokovic at the French Open, what, in 2021? Now, obviously, Djokovic comes back to win that match pretty handily, but I want to see the athleticism of Musetti push. Now, give him a match, you know, again, this would imply that he beats countryman Luca Nardi in the round of 16, uh, in the round of 32 you know, that means he's won two matches here in Monte Carlo. Maybe now he can play a little bit more freely against Djokovic. You, you're excited for Hurkacz because I just made the case. He's the most exciting player. You know, even if it's not clay court centric, all he does is play three set matches and make people uncomfortable because when he strikes fire on his serve, you're just not going to be breaking him. I hope we get Djokovic center. 
I think Sinner might get him just because Sinner has the callousness. You know, he's calloused up from that sunshine swing. Djokovic can be prone to losing matches in his first events back at the same time. Boy, has Djokovic been training on clay for about a month now, getting ready for the start of this European clay court season, getting ready to be able to play a full calendar events here over the next three months. Yeah, you expect Djokovic to emerge from the quarter, but I hope Sinner makes that a fun match. Looking elsewhere, Medvedev quarter of the draw. This one's the one that feels open, right? Team versus Runa in the round of 32. I mean, first match on clay for Holger, but... Holger, who wins a title on the clay courts last year, obviously quarterfinalist, beat Tsitsipas at the French Open. Mmm. Mmm. That's a great litmus test for both guys. How, what tier of contender do we have to consider you heading into this European clay court stretch? So, Team Runa, you watch. Berrettini Sarundolo's really fun as well. How healthy is Virev? RBA will push him physically. Medvedev's first clay court match comes against the trickiness, the pace of a Lorenzo Sinego who fights off match point with a ridiculous on-the-run forehand cross-court pass against Ugo Umber, ultimately secures a three-set victory. You could argue he's had, well, not better results than Medvedev, but he's more comfortable and more accustomed to this clay court condition than Medvedev has been, who, let's not forget, missed a ton of clay court time last year uh, due to injury. This is the most wide open section. (sighs) I want to pick Berrettini. So I'm going to pick Berrettini. Yeah, let's go Matteo Berrettini to get to the semifinals out of this section um, and let his run again of losing to Djokovic in the final stages of big events once again resume. Kasper Ruud section, he's coming off of a title, obviously the last week in Estoril. He's got Vandesen Schulp around one. You know, Hachinov's in this section, and Hachinov, if he beats Ilya Ivashko, will face his dear friend Andre Rublev in the round of 16. God, would that one be fun, given the context surrounding the rising Hachinov. I don't want to say Andre Rublev's plateaued, because if you're a top eight player in the world, you haven't plateaued. You've sustained excellence. But sustained, that's the word. Rublev's been in a sustained, he's been in a holding pattern. That's probably the best way to describe things where, yeah, he's clearly tier two. Is he ever going to develop something to elevate himself to that tier one status? Certainly has an open draw to do so. You know, in no world does Andre Rublev, I wonder, that'd be a fascinating question. I don't even think you need truth serum. I think you could just ask Andre Rublev straight up, given his candidness. Does Andre Rublev think he's better than Kasper Ruud. Because again, Rublev's had the better career. Ruud's made two slam finals and has the higher career, high ranking. Rublev's done more things, but uh, has he? I don't know. It's a fun debate. Anyways, they're in the section together. I'm, I did a whole Hatchinov rant, so how can I not pick him to beat Rublev? Give us Hatchinov Ruud in the quarterfinals. <sighs> Casper looked better last week. Two weeks in a row is tough. I'll take Hatchinov to get to the semifinals out of this section. And then the Tsitsipas section is equally interesting. You know, Nicolas Yari would take on Tsitsipas in the round of 16. His serve, given Tsitsipas' health status, Tsitsipas, a fairly easy round two affair as Benjamin Balancy forced to withdraw due to injury. Like, Yari could beat Tsitsipas in the round of 16. If I was bolder, I'd predict that because Yari's played better. I mean, 
I don't know, man. Lachetka Dimitrov's interesting. Stan the man who got a really fun three-set win over an informed talent Greek spore against a Taylor Fritz who has gotten better on clay courts, but you're still not 100% sold on. The chalk pick would be Tsitsipas. The eye test pick would be Yari. I'm picking the winner of Tsitsipas Yari. I just, it's not fair. Uh, Yari first has to beat Alexi Popperin, let's be clear. And by the way, his serve, his forehand wouldn't exactly be a fun matchup for Stefano Tsitsipas. Whoever wins Stefano Tsitsipas' round of 16 matchup, that's who's coming through the quarter. I'm just not sure who that player is going to be quite yet. I'll just double down, I guess, and go, ugh, the idea of picking Hatchinov in a final, though, against Djokovic. I'm just going to say Djokovic is the winner, and I'm not exactly sure who he's going to face in the final. And the reason that's not a cop-out, a cop-out, excuse me, but why that's an acceptable answer for all of you listeners today is because, again, first week of the clay court season, patience is a key. If you are someone who likes to bet matches, don't bet on Monte Carlo this week. Again, we just don't have a sample size big enough of clay court data. This is where we start to accumulate our knowledge. This is where we start to gather takes about how things may look moving forward, particularly first few days of the event. I need to see everyone play at least two clay court matches before I have any definitive answers for all of you. And thankfully, again, we'll get to lock in on Monte Carlo as it is the only tour level event on the calendar this week. Now, it's a really fun challenger in Sarasota, part of that USTA French Open wildcard challenge. Whoever can accumulate the most points in Sarasota, Rome, Savannah, or equivalents across the globe, they'll get a main draw wild card into the French Open. We'll be monitoring that chase here on this show periodically over the course of the next month. Uh, You've got plenty of regular season finales in the college tennis world. ACC, SEC play coming to an end. Race to be a top eight seed and host the first three rounds of the NCAA tournament. The race to be a top 16 seed and host the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. All those things are heating up. You can catch up on Everything happening across levels in the tennis world on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who does a f- of an editing job day in, day out, making everything possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>